Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Uh, we have as our guest today, Tom Campbell, who uh, was the creator and executive producer and moderator of North Carolina Spin, a long-running feature of uh, a number of stations in North Carolina and also public television. And Tom has been our guest a number of times, and we'd like to have Tom's views and opinions on the political situation and on various and sundry issues. And, of course, the reason we asked Tom to be on this week is we just finished the election. And, uh, Tom, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about the national picture, the state picture, the issues, the Trump factor, what's next for both parties and that sort of thing. We'll do that over the hour. But I sort of want to start off with uh, the national situation, which uh, was uh, pretty much a surprise in many respects. And you may want to uh, go in much more detail on exactly what was the cause of the surprise. Well, first of all, I'm always glad to be on this show. It's amazing to me how many people I'll run into that say, hey, I heard you and Don on the radio. Um, And you're right, I think, to start with the national uh, picture, because we had two different stories in this in this election. We had a national story and then we had the North Carolina story, which was somewhat different than the national story. There are a lot of people that are doing postmortems on exactly what happened, because if you go back and research this, uh, Republicans were expected to have a red wave. Traditionally, the party of the person who is occupying the White House takes a bath during midterm elections, losing lots of seats. Well, in this particular election, the Democrats lost fewer seats than any Democratic president who has ever been in office and lost fewer than has been the case in well, since the 1980s, I think. Um, it, it's just it, it's it, it's an incredible story. So what happened? Uh, because Republicans took a beating, if you will, in this election. Democrats um, had uh, a very, very good night, if you look at it from a national perspective. Now, I think that I think that the time will show that the Democrats lost control of the Senate uh, or the House for sure, and possibly the Senate. And we really won't know about that for some time because of, first of all, a runoff in Georgia. And secondly, there'll be a lot of states that uh, will still be counting ballots after this show airs. But so what happened? Uh, Here's my theory, and I'm sticking to it. This was not a pro-Joe Biden vote, uh, as some might have you believe. I think that there are an awful lot of of people, voters, uh, throughout America who took a look at what's been going on. Uh, If you look at January 6th, if you look at Trump, the personality, if you look at the election deniers, if you look at the tenor uh, of of the people who are running for office, and and then you cert, you you overimpose on that the Dobbs decision on abortions, and uh, the last week or so the attack on Nancy Pelosi's husband, and I think there were an awful lot of Americans who who stood back and said, "Wait a minute, we're better than this. 
we're better people. We're kinder people. We're nicer people. We are people who care about other people. And we're just not going to participate in this anymore. And I think that uh, there was a backlash vote here. Uh, I, I strongly believe that. I think that uh, we saw a vote uh, in America of people who just said, I'm fed up with this. I don't want it anymore. Now, I think the result of it was uh, that it's the demise of Donald Trump. And, you know, secret, you and I have talked about this before. Secretly, there have been lots of Republicans who didn't espouse him and his philosophy and his way of doing things and his narcissism and, and so forth like that. But they were so afraid of him that uh, they wouldn't speak out because they saw what happened um, to the Liz Cheney's and the uh, uh, um, other Republicans who spoke out against him. He, he got people to replace them in the primaries and so forth. Now, uh, I think what we saw was the emergence of his competition, uh, which is Ron DeSantis, or as Trump called him the other night, Ron DeSanctimonious. Um, he, he also said, by the way, he, he was livid about this. My understanding was he was calling his aides and friends and just threw, in, threw a fit. Uh, ended up <laughs> blaming a lot of it on, on Melania, particularly the, the Emmett Oz and, and uh, uh, Fetterman race in, in uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, and just said, you know, you folks just let me down. You just, well, they didn't understand. He didn't understand what they understood, which is that he was the problem. <laughs> it's like the old Pogo cartoon. I have seen the enemy and it is, it, it are us. Um, so I think that's a large part of what happened uh, in America. So what do we end up with? We end up with, by the way, more Democrat controlled governments. I mean, the whole state of Michigan flipped blue. Uh, there were several, uh, several other states, Michigan, Minnesota, several of them that, that flipped blue uh, in control of the legislatures, the secretary of states, the governorships. So we're going to see an emergence of a different kind of uh, governance taking place over the next couple of three years. But I think that the the Senate, I mean, the House has definitely flipped uh, to uh, Republicans. Uh, and I, by the way, I'm think I'm thinking Nancy Pelosi is probably kind of relieved. I think she was kind of tired of this whole mess herself. And so this gives her a good, graceful way to exit. And she'll probably remain in office uh, for this term. And, and you probably won't see her. Uh, running again after that. Uh, now, Tom, the, the information I get, uh, or, or what little bit I've read about it, is that because the Republicans did not have that uh, red wave and did not take quite as many House seats as they think, that even though they've got control, uh, they may have more difficulty controlling that group. Yes. Because, uh, uh, so that may be that may be one of the things to really watch is while they have control, do they have control? If McCarthy ends up being House Speaker, as he's been wanting to do for so many years, uh, he's not going to have a large plurality. He's not going to be able to lose many votes 
in his caucus on key issues. And frankly, uh, both of the caucus have factions and, and, and uh, areas in which uh, there are various ones who agree on some issues and disagree on others. Um, McCarthy's got a, a pretty interesting uh, cast of characters he's going to have to be dealing with. Uh, there's still some election deniers. There are people who are ready to move on from that. Uh, there are people who are more moderate uh, as opposed to the Freedom Caucus and some other uh, more uh, extreme uh, people. Yeah, he's going to have problems. I don't think there's any question about it. It's not going to be a happy speakership for him. And I think the same is true if he if the Republicans should end up uh, taking over the Senate. Uh, I mean, uh, my gosh, uh, look, look at what Joe Manchin has done to the, to the Democratic Party. I mean, this one single senator has sidelined so many initiatives that, that Biden and the Democratic uh, uh, leadership wanted to institute there. Yeah, he's this is not, this is going to be a, an era in which I think it's going to be very difficult governance. Now, let me tell you why I think this is going to be extremely important. And we're going to see this uh, beginning in December because the government is going to have to raise its debt ceiling in December. And there is a lot of talk or has been a lot of talk that the Republicans uh, are going to block any kind of effort to increase the, the national debt. And, and we might go back to a situation like we had with Newt Gingrich. You might remember back in the, the 90s when uh, Gingrich effectively shut down uh, the government because he wouldn't agree with or uh, the, the raising of the debt ceiling. Well, we might be back into that same kind of scenario again. But now they're getting ready to take leadership of what they're getting ready to break up. In other words, uh, they may try to stop government, but guess what? Come 1st of January, they're in charge. Then what happens? Uh, is that how they want to be known? It, it, this is going to be a very interesting era in American politics. My overarching feeling, Don, is it will not be an era in which there is big, bold legislative action. You won't see. Well, of course, there's a lot of uh, a lot of people uh, favor this kind of government. Yes. Gridlock uh, yeah. uh, forces people to uh, seek compromise and work. Uh, right. uh, they may not have any choice except to work us, uh, across the. Or the they aisle just end up doing nothing. Space. In which there are also a lot of people who say, you know, we can sleep well tonight. Our Congress ain't doing anything. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, there, there, at one time, I think uh, a couple of years ago, someone proposed half jokingly. I thought it was a pretty good idea at the time. Said any time, said we have enough laws, uh, and and we have a number that need to come off the books. So here's the new deal: if you introduce new legislation and it requires a new bill, then you're going to have to find one bill, one piece of legislation to take off the books. Yeah. I, I remember that, and it was. It I was think they were done. I mean, they were. It was sort was of done, done tongue in cheek, but I think that you know yeah. it, it. It does because there are there are too many regulations and rules and so forth like that. Yeah. But it was it was a good night for Democrats, and uh, not so good for Republicans. Although again, they earned enough 
seats to take over the House and likely will, I think likely will, uh, the Senate. Uh, I don't know what that means so far as relationships with Biden, uh, but he's got a whipping boy now in the event that if he will decide to use it uh, when he can't get stuff done that he feels like needs to be done, he can blame it on this this Republican Congress that he's got. Uh, and many, many presidents have done that in the past. But it's a story that is marked contrast with North Carolina. And I know we're going to talk about that in a minute. Uh, but I, I, I do think that there is going to be uh, a lot of uh, continued celebration among Democrats, new hope that they indeed can capture votes and capture America. The other one other thing I'll say real quick is part of the reason why Republicans lost is Donald Trump had handpicked a number of candidates who just were not qualified. Well, uh, uh, certainly a lot of Republicans uh, also agree with you on that statement. Our guest is Tom Campbell, uh, and uh, we are going to continue to talk about the uh, just uh, recent election. And uh, in the next segment, we're going to turn to the uh, the makeup of the United States House of Representatives from North Carolina, because we have a couple of, of uh, interesting races there that we want to talk about. And we'll do that when we return with the next segment of Carolina Newsmakers. You stay tuned. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com, brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Melissa from Michigan. I work an extra part-time job serving lunch at my child's school, but... Still can't afford to put food on our table. Daniel from California. Choosing whether to pay the rent or pay to fix the car to get to work doesn't leave us with much at all. Now we can't even pay for meals. Hunger is a story we can end. End it at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week, the creator and the executive producer of the long-running television program, North Carolina Spin. Uh, we, we'll talk a little bit more about that program and its uh, sort of uh, uh, history uh, because it's uh, it's an interesting series that uh, ended. When when did you have your last broadcast? A year and a half December or two years 31st ago? December 31st of 2020. In fact, I was on it's your show. How fast? How fast? Yeah. I have a I, I have a mutual friend of ours, uh, Dr. Bob Bilbro, uh, who used to be in your position, I know, and it, it used to be mine. And Bob, uh, I told Bob one time, I said, life seems to be passing me by so <laughs> rapidly. And Don and, and Bob said, Don, life is like a roll of toilet paper. The closer you get to the end, the faster it seems to go. Boy, what a philosophy. 
Bob Bilbro and I, uh, by the way, grew up in the same town. He was he was sort yeah. of one of my boyfriend heroes. I mean, he was a brilliant guy, Morehead Scholar, went to yeah. university, med school, all this kind of stuff. His parents and my parents uh, were best friends. A very, a very, a very good person, and uh, still oh, yeah. uh, active in, in community affairs and so forth. Well, uh, we want to talk now about the congressional makeup in North Carolina. We uh, first of all, of course, we started off with some new districts. We'll probably have new districts again next time uh, when we uh, go back to the uh, to the uh, elections uh, two years away. Uh, we'll have different districts again, I, I suspect. Uh, but we had uh, also uh, a, a redraw because we added a 14th district in North yes. Carolina. Yes. yes. So sort of go by and uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, uh, were there any surprises? And, and, and I know at least one that uh, most people would say was a surprise. So give us your view on the makeup. And, okay. Uh, can, uh, I, can, I, can uh, I start with the U.S. Senate race for just a minute uh, because there's some there's some aspects oh, of that okay. that I think that are interesting. It was the main event on the ticket, so far as North Carolina was concerned, the, the Sherry Beasley Ted Bud race. Um, and if you ask me, am I surprised at the outcome? Uh, the answer is probably not. Um, I, I think, so far as it goes, um, a lot of people are saying they think it was because of Ted Budd's embrace of Donald Trump. You know, Trump came down to Wilmington and actually had a, a rally down there for him. Uh, but I don't think it was Trump that was the reason for his victory. I think it was outside money. And you and I have had this conversation before many times. The independent expenditure groups. Now, Beasley, and, and so far as the individual campaigns were concerned, Beasley outraised Bud by a large sum of money. She got the grassroots $10, $15, $20 uh, from the voters across the state. Bud got multi-millions of dollars from these independent expenditure groups, particularly the Club for Growth. And they were on the air uh, with all these dirty, nasty ads about Sherry Beasley and uh, soft on crime and all of this kind of good stuff. I think that's ultimately what uh, was the, the factor that was Bud's victory. Um, and so I, that was an interesting race. It was not particularly a surprising outcome. So far as the the Congress was concerned, you know, uh, we've been having ups and downs on Congress and it calls to the fact that we need to find some better way of drawing congressional districts than what we have. In this particular case, uh, the legislature drew new districts, as was required by the census that was completed in 2020. And the districts they drew were declared by the court to be so prejudicial, so biased, so uh, partisan that the Supreme Court told them to go back and draw them again. Well, they tried another time and the districts were just about as, as bad as they were the first time. So the court said, well, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to draw, we're going to get three special masters in and we're going to draw congressional boundaries for this election because it's so close to voting day, both the primaries and the, the general election. 
we're going to put these maps in place for the 2022 election. But we're going to tell you right now, you are going to have to redraw new districts for the 2024. And the implication was you're going to have to bring them back here. And if we don't think they're unconstitutional, we're going to call them again and keep we'll keep doing this dance until they come up with fairer districts. Two things about that. Number one, this is where the elections for the Supreme Court of North Carolina become so important. I think it was the most important election we held in North Carolina was our Supreme Court races. The court went from having four Democrats and three Republicans to having five uh, Republicans and two Democrats. Now, play this out on this redistricting again. So the legislature draws districts and they are going to obviously be contested. I think that's the type of time we're living in right now. Whoever draws the districts, they ain't going to be considered fair. And so uh, they're going to be challenged in court. This guy, Mark Elias, who is a Democratic uh, operative, has been suing states and suing North Carolina for years over voting. And they're going to go to the Supreme Court. But guess what? This time, they're going to have a Supreme Court that's five to two Republican instead of four to three Democrat. And so the legislature has got to be breathing a sigh of relief from that standpoint. Back to back to Congress. We had an eight to five plurality of Republicans to Democrats, which, by the way, had changed because in 2018 it was 10 Republicans and three Democrats. It, it had in 2020 it gotten down to eight Republicans and five Democrats. They redrew districts, uh, and uh, in the in the process of, of redrawing districts uh, and and inserting these new special masters maps, uh, they were, I think, fairer, more representative uh, districts that were drawn. We ended up uh, Tuesday night with seven Republicans and seven Democrats. Well, I think that probably pretty closely mirrors North Carolina. I mean, if you look at us as a state, we are a state with about as many Democrats as we have Republicans. Uh, the unaffiliateds can can make the difference in votes, but they can swing back and forth either way. Uh, so we're going to end up with seven and seven for the next two years. Uh, and then we're going to have to draw them again. And, and who knows what's going to end up by then. We've got a legislature still controlled by uh, Republicans. So uh, we'll just have to wait and see how that happens. I think one of the things that's been interesting to me, Don, early on, uh, is that the John Locke Foundation, which is a far right think tank headquartered here in Raleigh. The John Locke Foundation has a piece already saying that the reason why we had as many as many Democrats get elected is because of the Democratic court mandate. In other words, it's the Democrats' fault that we have seven and seven. And they implied that uh, they the, the districts would have been much fairer if the Democratic uh, court had been willing to do it on a more nonpartisan basis. Wait a minute. Isn't that what all of us have been saying for the last 10 or 15 or 20 years? that we would like to have more, less partisan, more balanced districts being drawn? Well, anyway, so we got seven and seven. Uh, the, a lot of people say that the 13th district was a surprise, the Bo Hines uh, race. 
it wasn't a particularly uh, surprising uh, fact as far as I'm concerned, uh, mainly because, again, Bo Hines had no experience. He, he had actually been shopping around for a congressional district to move to and, and run in. Uh, and and he was a Trump nominee. And, and, and again, I think this was one factor that, that we ought to say both on a national level and on the local, on the state level. I think the voters finally said, you know what? It's not just whether they are an R or a D. We want to look at the individual candidate and make a choice on the individual rather than that. And, and I think that in this particular case, there were a lot of people who looked and said, you know, Bo uh, Hines may have been a pretty good football player, uh, although he really wasn't uh, that great a football player, player for NC State. But he certainly didn't have any trouble. Huh? You got in serious trouble when you start talking about uh, whether he was a good football player or not. So I just okay. warned you on that. <laughs> All right. I, are there some who think he was? I don't know, but I'm just saying he that you're out of school up. after what two years and then went to Harvard. I mean, I, I don't know. Anyway, I, so far as it goes, that's not the point. The point was so, he wasn't qualified. He really wasn't a well qualified candidate, and Trump picked him and embraced him as he did several other candidates. Um, and and I think the voters just saw through that. Well, it's interesting, uh, as you said, because North Carolina is a purple state. We have now gotten a seven and seven count. And, uh, and of course, uh, the other thing that's going to be interesting in watching the uh, redraw for the next election is the fact that uh, no matter how hard you try, uh, the fact is the metropolitan areas keep getting bigger and uh, it gets more and more difficult to uh to find districts that uh, in some cases don't uh, uh are just a single county compared to a district that might include uh 12 or 14 counties well and you uh, raise a you raise a but really you can't help that. i mean that's where people have chosen to live well and you raise a really really good point because one of the things if you take a, a 5000 foot view of north carolina i mean for instance in the decade between 2010 and 2020 Close to a million people moved to our state. Well, guess what? 50% of them, 500,000 of them, moved to either Mecklenburg County in Charlotte or Wake County in Raleigh, which means that those communities are getting bigger and bigger. And it's not just Raleigh getting bigger and Charlotte getting bigger, but it's the shoulder communities. I mean, think about Nightdale and Zebulon and Cary and uh, all of the places, Wendell, all of the places around the shoulder communities around Raleigh. Now, here's a fact of life. The more dense the population of an area, the more likely the area is to vote Democratic. The less populated or less dense the population is in the area, the more likely it is to vote Republican. Look at your, ur your rural counties versus your urban counties. So, Let's just use as an example, Union County. This isn't picking on anybody because our listeners don't live up that way. All right, so Union County is a county which is and has been just predominantly Republican. But as more and more people move into Union County with the urbanization of, of Union County, it's going to get to be denser and denser and populous, and it's going to turn from red to pink to blue over a period of time. 
So this is really what's Union County, happening. by the way, is uh, is Monroe. Just for those two who might not uh, keep up with counties, but that's Senator the Monroe Hounds area Park south Park. of Charlotte. Yeah. So well, it's, anyway, it, you know, really as I said, uh, it's uh, yeah, it's it's impossible to tell people where to live, and that's going to make uh, redistricting even more difficult. Uh, even if you were trying to take a very, 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 very fair view, it still gets to be difficult without breaking up counties. And uh, that's uh, because uh, it, just, it just is. Some of these uh, districts uh, are already getting exceedingly large congressional wise yeah. because they don't have any people. Exactly. Our guest is Tom Campbell. We are talking about the results of the election. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about the way politics uh, was uh, uh, was viewed by the public, uh, the negative ads, uh, the lack of political dialogue and uh, uh, apathy and that sort of thing. I want to talk and get your views on that because uh, that's something I think we're all very interested in. And we'll do that when we return with the next segment of Carolina Newsmakers. Adopt U.S. Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting. A teenager learning the lingo. Today, I'm going to help parents translate teen slang. Now, when a teen says something is on fleek, it's exactly like saying, that's rad. It simply means that something is awesome or cool. Another one is totes. It's exactly like saying, totally, just shorter. As in, I totes love going to the mall with Becca. Another word you might hear is jelly. Jelly is a shorter, better way to say jealous. As in, Chloe, I am like so jelly of your unicorn phone case. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will think you're, um, rad just the same. To learn more, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. It's important for you to talk to someone about it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest is Tom Campbell. Tom, of course, was the longtime producer and moderator of North Carolina Spin, a staple of public television in North Carolina for a number of years. Before that, he was on a number of commercial stations. Uh, and uh, Tom's program always had uh, two or three, uh, 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 oh, I always had four panelists, two from the left and two from the right. And it was a very interesting dialogue. And of course, the panelists all got along well with each other and, and had civil discourse. And that's uh, something that we're sort of missing. And I always enjoyed that and found uh, that uh, I always seemed to be better informed after I heard Tom's program than I was before I uh, uh, tuned in. Tom, uh, first of all, let's give us a, a little summary of uh, uh, you, you know exactly how many broadcasts you had and how many years and so forth. Give us about a minute and a half on the history of North Carolina spin before you ceased the broadcast a number of years ago, a couple of years ago. Well, we, we started the program when I was a licensee of Fox 50 and uh, 
I was leasing the station to Capital Broadcasting, and the FCC rules were I could lease the station, but I had to do public affairs and public service programming myself. I couldn't, I couldn't lease that to them. And I'd been watching this program on PBS for years called the McLaughlin Group. And I thought John McLaughlin was probably a pretty bam- bombastic uh, personality and didn't particularly like him. But I must admit to you that I tuned in every Friday night to watch him because he had some compelling panelists. And I felt like, wouldn't this be a good idea to have something like that for North Carolina? And I happened to mention it to John Hood, who I was at a a function with one night and told him that I was thinking about doing it. And he said, hey, this is really fascinating. I've been thinking the same thing. And he said, you know, the truth is I, I would like to help you with this. Because one of my first jobs out of college was as uh, the intern for Fred Barnes, who was one of the regular panelists uh, on the McLaughlin Group. And I did research for him. So I can tell you how the show's formatted. I can tell you how it's run. I can tell you, you know, how the segments work and all this kind of good stuff. And and he said, and by the way, uh, in addition to that, I can tell you I'd like to be a panelist on it. And I said, well, okay. So um, I, I said, okay, if you're going to do it, you're going to represent the right, obviously. we got to find somebody to represent the left. And we both simultaneously said Chris Fitzsimon. So we met at TK Trips for lunch one day. Uh, and over uh, t- uh, lunch at TK Trips on a napkin, I mean, this is the kind of stuff legend is made out of. Over a napkin, we sort of penciled out how we would how we would run the show, how we would format it, and so forth like that. Uh, and and so from that, uh, we got it started in September of 1978, and we had 1154 uh, episodes over a 21 and a half period. Uh, name, name some of the various and sundry guests that you had through the years, because it's a long list, and uh, some were only on once or twice, but. A uh, number had a reoccurring role, but you had some very, very, very smart people representing both the left opinions and the right opinions. You might well, want to mention we, just a few of We prided ourselves on that. Well, we had a, a younger Pat McCrory before he ran statewide for office, was one of our panelists from time to time. He'd come from Charlotte. Uh, a good friend of both of ours, Henry Hinton from down east, who does a, a great talk of the town radio program down there every morning. Uh, but we had uh, we had lots of people who were uh, formers uh, in state government, the former lieutenant governor, Dennis Wicker, the former Supreme Court Justice Bob Orr, uh, the former secretary of state and attorney general, Rufus Edmiston. Uh, we had uh, Leo Daughtry, who was one of the former uh, and, and frankly, a good friend and, and a person I admire quite a bit, uh, a, a former legislator from Johnston County. Uh, and, and we had people of that ilk, but we also had, uh, in addition to John Hood, we had a number of people who were representing either the, the John Locke Foundation or NC Policy Watch, which was a think tank that kind of evolved, uh, which was on the left-hand side. The, the philosophy was uh, of the show was we wanted a show in which uh, we presented more than one side of an issue. We were not going to be 
in the bag, so to speak, for any particular party or philosophy, but we wanted to represent. And, and the other part of it was that even though the panelists may have opinions and thoughts about specific issues, we were not going to be the show that told you what to think. We were going to be the show that told you the different sides of issues and then count on you being smart enough and trusting you to be smart enough to make up your own decision. And I think that's kind of what that and the fact that, as you said, it was civil debate. Now, I will tell you that uh, this is the one source of pride that I have in the show is that uh, we had on the show what's called Tom's Rule. And Tom's rule is that we are Southern ladies and gentlemen. And if you can't act like one, if you can't, if you can't refrain from name calling and, and really ugly, uh, critical discussion, you don't come back. And it worked for 21 and a half years. So uh, it was, it, and I, my role I saw, uh, was Switzerland. I, I always really got upset on these cable shows where they had the show. And the host himself or herself was part of the partisan debate. I didn't feel like that was my role. I felt like my role was to keep the trains running and to uh, give people the opportunity, make sure everybody had airtime, make sure everybody got treated properly, um, and and then let the viewers make the decisions and, and trust my panelists also to be smart enough to present them with some some well-thought-out thoughts. I'm I'm very proud of that. That leads me to the next uh, topic I wanted to change to, and that is the fact that um, I think the one thing that almost everybody that voted in the election can agree on is they were all tired of negative political ads. But here's the other side of it. Negative ads obviously work. work. And uh, it's bothersome to me that we elected a, uh, a whole group of congressmen. We have no idea in the world what uh, they are what views they want, and what they believe in. We just know what they're against. But we know the uh, fall against them. You know, so, this is, this, uh, and, and I will say to you the same thing. I can remember when I ran a radio station, you and I knew each other, uh, and somebody saw me at the Rotary Club meeting one day and he said, Tom, I can't believe you allow the Drake Theater to run X-rated uh, ads about X-rated movies on your radio station. I think you're a more highly principled person than that. I can't believe you do it. And I turned around and I said to, to this person, I said, you know what? Let me tell you the reality of this. Uh, they're in business like everybody else. And if people stopped paying buying tickets to see these X-rated shows, they quit showing them. Well, the same thing is true so far as these political ads are concerned. I'm a, I'm as upset with them and fed up with them as anybody in, in this state. But I will tell you that if you continue to vote for people who do these ads, and by the way, more and more of these ads are not being done by the candidates. They're being done by these independent expenditure groups. And, and that's something I think needs to be changed about politics. Um, the Supreme Court allowed all of this with their Citizens United decision back many years ago. Most people forget that when they ruled on Citizens United, they also instructed the Congress to go back and pass some better 
campaign finance laws, and the Congress just ignored that because they couldn't get along to agree on anything. But anyway, uh, you quit voting for these characters, and they'll stop doing it. When they find out uh, that they ain't working anymore, they'll quit doing it. I, I do get upset because there are people I marked that I don't have a clue what their philosophy is, what they believe in, what they stand for. I just know what they're against. Well, that, that's my point. There are a lot of very key issues. For example, there was very little discussion about what the various and sundry candidates are going to do about inflation or a yes. possible recession. There was very, there was absolutely no conversation about the NIL situation that the colleges and universities are in, which almost everybody says is going to have to be settled by an act of Congress. Yeah. Uh, so we have no idea in the world what, uh, uh, the views and opinions of those that we elected are on most issues. And that's that's very disturbing to me because well, people vote. Uh, actually, most people are therefore voting against somebody rather than voting for somebody. Which is exactly, by the way, the way modern campaign uh, committees and chairs have found out is effective. Uh, it, yeah. The gone is the time when somebody said, here's my platform. Here's what I'm for. Here's what I want to do. It is, I guess it's easier to, to rail against what the other candidate believes in. And by the way, they're not even accurate in doing it. They are, it's what we call in the business framing. You frame your op opponent and you frame him or her in such a way that is the most negative way you can possibly think of. And, and so what it's boiled down to in politics today is, First of all, uh, if I'm a candidate, if I'm running a campaign, I've got to make you afraid of something. I've got to tell you about how big a threat X, Y, Z issue is. And then I've got to blame it on somebody. And guess who I'm going to blame it on? I'm going to blame it on our opponent. And then I'm going to tell you how to fix it if they get around to that. Um, and and it, it, it's a... The biggest problem has been that it's gotten to the point now where we are having uh, what's called the replacement theory. And the theory has been, particularly with some of these more extreme groups, that here's what the issue is. And let me tell you what, if you vote for this guy, they're going to take away your rights and replace them with rights for X, Y, Z group. They're going to replace you and your rights with this, these other rights. They're going to make you afraid of what's going to happen if this person happens to get into office. Now, you know, preachers used to do a little bit of that when they would preach their health, fire and damnation sermons, trying to convince you to, to act better and behave better or else the, the, the punishment would be hell uh, at the end day. Uh, but uh, this is this is a horrible way for people to decide how to choose uh, those people who elect us. And, 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 and I still believe in government. I still believe in, in free and fair elections, but certainly not the way we're doing them now. Well, it's, uh, it's certainly, uh, as I said, dozens and dozens of very important issues just aren't brought to light as to their opinions and views. And so we elect people again, on the basis of who we don't like rather than who we do like. And, and if they do bring the, if they do happen to bring those issues to light, Don, what they want to do is scare you 
and and threaten you with what's going to happen if you elect my opponent. Yeah, well, it's it's all negative, and uh, uh, and as you, but unfortunately, uh, it, it appears to work. And uh, yes, as long as it works, yes. your point is this: as long as it works, they're going to continue to do it. That's and, it. Uh, that's uh, yeah. In the next segment, our last segment, I want to talk a little bit about what's next for the Democrats and what's next for the Republicans, and uh, also sort of what's next for North Carolina, because as we know, we have a large number of registered unaffiliates. Now, because somebody is unaffiliated or so-called independent, doesn't mean that they don't lean toward being a Democrat or lean toward being a Republican to begin with. So, uh, so I think we can just sort of zero in on what's next for the for the Democratic Party and the Republican Party, not only here in North Carolina, but across the uh, the country. And so that's what I'd like to get Tom's views and opinions on. And we'll do that when we return right after these messages. You wanted to see me? Yes, please have a seat. So here's the thing. When this company brought you on, we took a chance on you. You didn't have that four-year college degree we typically look for. Right. But we gave you a shot anyway. And since then, you've worked incredibly hard and given it your all. Thanks. You've been an important asset to the team, but I don't think you can be an intern here anymore. We want to hire you. You're, you're serious? Absolutely. Find your next great employee. Introduce yourself to the grads of life. Who are they? Talent worth knowing about. Young adults of unique determination and experience. An ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or even mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. I won't let you down. I know. Don't miss out on a resource many innovative companies have already discovered. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. Here's a fun fact for you. The average chameleon can point their eyes in two different directions. On the other hand, the average human can't. So unless you're a chameleon, there's absolutely no way you can focus on texting and driving at the same time. So don't do it, unless you're a chameleon. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. Final segment of Carolina Newsmakers this week. Our guest is Tom Campbell, the creator, executive producer, and moderator of North Carolina Spin, a program that uh, was on the air for more than 22 years and ended its uh, run in December of 2020 after uh, some huge number of broadcasts, 1,500 and some odd. I've forgotten how many you said, but it was a lot of them. And uh, it was a very interesting program and one that a lot of people uh, miss very much today. Well, Tom, as we said before we ended the last segment, we want to turn now from uh, the lessons learned in this election that will affect how the Democrats and how the Republicans move forward, uh, both in North Carolina and across the country. Uh, and, uh, of course, next election will be a presidential election, so it will get uh, to be very important. Every member of Congress, of course, will be up, and another one-third of the Senate nationally will be up. And so it's going to be kind of interesting to watch and see what happens. So why don't you sort of split your time, and I'll sort of uh, wave a flag when it's time to switch, uh, and give us your views. Uh, why, don't, why don't you start with the Democrats first? and then well, uh, let's, let's, get, let's get a bigger... Let's get a I'm bigger. I'm taking an alphabetical order. Yeah, let's let's talk. I'm let's taking get an alphabetical order. 
let's get a macro view of this whole thing. First of all, uh, I, I believe in democracy and I, I, I think it's the best system there is, but I think it seriously needs some reform. Let's start in, in thinking about this. You know, we used to rail about the fact that candidates were chosen by the Pauls in smoke-filled rooms. Well, guess what? By and large, they chose pretty good candidates. The beauty contests we have now in primaries are a farce. What ends up by going on is that we have not candidates that are selected by a majority of people, but people who can survive a beauty contest. Uh, and that's exactly what it is to select the nominee for the Republican or Democratic Party for president and on down throughout uh, the area. We, we end up with less than best candidates to start off with. Well, if you don't start off with good candidates, it's entire. I mean, a Donald Trump would never have made it out of a smoke field room uh, back in the day. Uh, he just wouldn't. Uh, the, the, the people would not have selected. So let's start with the fact that we need a better process for selecting. I, I think that the second part, the second thing I would say is I think the political party parties, the two political parties are dinosaurs. I think they desperately need to be uh, changed, thrown out, whatever you might want to be. Time was when my dad ran for public office back in the 70s, early, late 60s, early 70s. The, the party helped choose the candidates for the, the primary, made sure that nobody was running that was just way off the page so far as their philosophies were concerned. But furthermore, after he got nominated, the party came in and helped surround him with a platform. Here's our philosophy. Here's what we believe in. And by the way, we're going to help you in explaining that and taking it to the people of your district. Furthermore, we're going to go out and help you raise money. We're going to get surrogates to go out and help stunt for you and support you and so forth like that. Uh, a lot of that changed back, frankly, when Jim Hunt first ran for uh, governor and lieutenant governor and governor back in the in the 70s. He bypassed and circumvented the party uh, mechanisms, the, the mechanics of the, of the party. From that point on, the party became little more than just a fundraising machine. And, and it's evolved into the point now where that's just about all it is. It can talk about maybe it espouses this platform or that platform, but they're toothless tigers. They don't have any any way to enforce it. And frankly, it's nothing that anybody pays too much attention to. So I do believe that. I think further that the majority of people in North Carolina, and, and my thesis on this unaffiliated voter, yes, if you're an unaffiliated voter, you may lean more toward voting Republican or more toward voting Democrat, I, I, that that may be your proclivity. But I think the majority of the voters and people of North Carolina are moderates. And there is no place for moderates anymore uh, in either of the parties. Not only are they not rewarded, they're penalized, they're punished if they want to be inside either one of the political parties. If I'm not far left or far right, I just get ignored. Well, uh, that's a fallacy. And the parties themselves need to figure out how to correct that and get back on. 
The reason for it is, by the way, the extreme factions are the most vocal. They are the most threatening. They are the ones who say, if you don't adopt this platform, if you don't do this, we're going to bolt. Well, guess what? Bolt. It's okay. We'll survive. Uh, but I do think that that's part of what's gotten uh, in here. And so our effect was uh, moderates in either party are, are largely being ignored. And I think that's where most of North Carolina is, is sort of moderate. There are some issues in which they probably are conservative and some issues in which they probably are progressive. But in general, they're sort of center line, middle of the road uh, philosophies. No room, as I say, in the current political uh, culture for that. So I think uh, that it would be terribly important and very, uh, I'd, I'd sign on with it and try to help start a third party if it was a moderate party. And frankly, in my way of thinking, I wouldn't want them to be Democrats or Republicans. I just want them to be moderates. Now, why haven't we done that? Why hasn't this been done? The reason for it is because the two political existing parties, particularly in North Carolina, have made it so difficult for you. Don Curtis, you're a moderate. You want to run as an unaffiliated voter. The truth is they have made this so difficult for you to get on the ballot. They've made it so difficult. The, the way that it works right now is if you are an unaffiliated, you want to run in an, as an unaffiliated, you have to go out and get voters to sign a petition for you. And you've got to get a certain number of voters that voted during the last election in order to be able to qualify and get put on the ballot. Well, in, in essence, what's going on is that political parties are controlling their own competition. I can kind of understand it, but it's not good for government. It's not good democracy, in my opinion. Uh, so I think one of the things that's got to happen is we've got to have better ballot access. Now, I think that the Democrats in general have allowed their, their factions to the left to dictate too much of their policy. And I think they need to be uh, more strengthened by that, uh, their, their positions, more moderate positions of what they stand for. The problem is that the parties consist of such many factions that there's no way in the world they can get enough consensus to appease all of them. And, and uh, I'm not sure I have a, an answer for that, Don. Uh, I know you'll find that very difficult to believe, but uh, I, I think it needs to be done, but I'm not sure how to do it. The, the only threat that I see that might potentially be any uh, help is the ability to be able to start a third party. What's wrong, by the way? Uh, what's wrong with the old system? Yeah, I, I understand, and I'm going to tell you in a minute why why it's opposed. But what's wrong with everybody putting their name on a ballot that wants to run for an election? And let's have some sort of a process where we winnow it down. And doesn't make any difference whether they're Democrats or Republicans or what. The top two or three vote getters get to run in a general election, and then we choose or four, whatever it happens to be. Uh, I, I got it. The ballot is already long enough. We've got too many races. In the on the ballot, that's a problem in North Carolina. Frankly, our ballot is way too long. There are a lot of offices, and this is heresy, but there are a lot of offices which we should not have to elect. The truth is, we shouldn't be electing a secretary of state. We should not be electing attorney general. We should not be electing 
a state superintendent of public instruction, uh, maybe a state treasurer, or maybe state auditor. I, I'm not sure where you draw the line with that, but that in and of itself lengthens the ballot when we go to the polls to vote. So I think if we could figure out how to let the executive choose the various officers that serve in the cabinet, kind of like they do in Washington, uh, then get the Senate to confirm these people if you, if you want to. But the, but the truth is, if we shorten the ballot and give more opportunity for voters to vote, I have this great trust in voters. I have this great belief that people are inherently good and that they are, they are willing to look after their own self-interest to the extent that they will know which candidates on the ballot serve will serve them best. The only exception to that, by the way, is in judicial elections. And I think we are way, way, way off the beam insofar as electing judges. We don't, that doesn't ensure we're going to get good justice. I'll never forget the analogy that, that Barack Obama made in, in talking to the folks in Georgia about Herschel Walker. He said, you know, suppose you're in an airport and you look down the hall and you see Herschel Walker and you say, wow, listen, there, there is a guy who was a Heisman Trophy winner. He was one of the greatest running backs that ever played the game of football for the University of Georgia. He is just a legend. Why don't we let him fly the airplane? He said, you wouldn't do that. He's not qualified. Well, so why do we elect people to the bench? Yeah, they got to be a lawyer. That's the law. Uh, they got to be a lawyer. But does that make them qualified? Not necessarily. So I think we should quit electing judges and find a better way of appointing them and then having some sort of reaffirmation of them after they've been in office for a long time. I think the, the, the Democrats have been rightly accused of being too leftist. The Republicans have been rightly accused of being too, too much to the right. And I think it's largely because the factions within their party have driven them that way. Now, the result of that is that people who are moderates, me, you, whoever, we say, hey, wait a minute. I don't feel like I'm at home in either one of these parties anymore. I don't want to be a Democrat. I don't want to be a Republican. I'm going to be an unaffiliated and have been for a number of years. The system needs fixing. Um, we've got people who are more interested in blaming other people and finding criticism in other people uh, instead of trying to improve what we've got. And that's a problem. And I think we need to work on it. Well, it, it's uh, I think I think there are an awful lot of people that uh, think both parties have lost touch with uh, yes. with the middle, and yeah. uh, and the middle is uh, obviously a lot larger than either the left or the right. That's for sure. Well, Tom, our time is all gone. We appreciate you being with us, Tom Campbell. Uh, if you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and do just that. CarolinaNewsmakers.com. And uh, of course, uh, Jason will have another interesting guest for us next week on the same group of stations as he is the producer of the program and does a great job. Till the next week, same time, same station. Have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to CarolinaNewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong 
Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.